Be honest. You ever been blindsided in life? You ever have a disaster hit you? Yeah. I heard about a guy not too long ago that went to the doctor, and the doctor said to him, he said, you know, we figured out what your problem is. You need a brain. He said, well, what do I do about that? He said, well, every once in a while we get a transplant. And he said, you know, we can maybe transplant a brain in there. And the guy said, good night. I never heard of such a thing. He said, yes. He said, which kind of brain would you like? And the guy said, well, he said, you know what? You mean they cost different amounts of money? He said, yeah, insurance don't cover any of this. Your brain transplants is out of your pocket. And if you get a man's brain, it's only $35,000. You get a woman's brain, it's $150,000. Now, come on, ladies, you should say amen to that. And the guy said, you've got to be kidding me, $150,000 for a woman's brain? Why does it cost so much? He said, because a man's brain gets used so little. <laughs> Some of you ain't going to laugh. You're not allowed to laugh because your husband's watching, huh? That's a funny joke. Don't you like that? I'll tell you, every once in a while we get blindsided, don't we? Come on, you ever been there, done that, and got that t-shirt? Sure you have. You know, in life sometimes it's really difficult to see the things that happen to us, and it's always kind of comes out of nowhere, doesn't it? Come on, have you ever had that happen to you? Life's pretty good, things are going pretty well, and then all of a sudden, where did that come from? Wow. Got your Bible with you today? Take your copy of God's Word, turn to Psalm 46. This is the passage that we're looking at, and we're going to look at this passage, and I'd like for you to stand with me as we read God's Word today. Will you do that? Let's stand in honor of God's Word, and I want you to read with me. Verses 1 and 2, and then I'll read a while, and then we'll read verse number 10, okay? You ready? You got your Bible? If you don't, you can look on the screen. You ready? All right. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Now, let me read for a while. Though the waters thereof roar and are troubled, even though the mountains shake with great swelling, Selah, there is a river. The streams thereof shall make glad the city of God and the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, and he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Look at verse 10. Ready to read with me? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. Thank you. Be seated. Now, we started last Sunday into Psalm 46. Fellas, you've got to turn me up just a little bit of light because I can't see my Bible. And I'm really blind. I'm having a struggle here reading my scriptures. So you've got to give me a little bit more light up there. There you go. 
Last Sunday, we started into this passage. Let me read it to you again, and we're going to remind you of some things. Would that be all right? Amen. All right. Look at what it says. Now, look at Psalm 46. You see that in your Bible? The sons of Korah, a song upon Alamont. Alamont. All right. Let's, that's a heading, by the way. That wasn't added by the scribes. There are those that say that was actually a part of the psalm, and that's an inscription. Now, let's look at a couple of those carefully. To the chief musician. Uh, we could update that today. We could do to the leader of the choir. That would be the way we'd say it today. And it's talking about the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were the choir directors. And so that's why it reads like that. And then the Bible says it's a song upon Alamoth. Alamoth the word uh, Alamoth is a derivative, it's a root. The root word is Hebrew, Alma. Alma is the word for virgin or a young, vir a young maiden. That's the idea of the word. It's used over there in Isaiah 7, 14. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. We say that verse sometimes at Christmas, remember that? So Alamoth is talking about a female singer. So it's talking about the sons of Korah that were choir directors. It's talking about uh, this psalm was given to the sons of Korah to sing. And this particular part or this particular psalm was given for a female singer. And the idea of it is that she was a soprano. Now that's notes I can't hit. I mean, there's no way I could ever be a soprano. My voice just ain't going to make it. So it's talking about one of these gals that can hit those big high notes, okay? And it's talking about a girl in the choir that can sing and, and sing very, very high parts of the choir music. Now, the scripture tells us, if you look, and I want to show you a couple of spots, look, at, look down to the verse number uh, three, all right? You see the end of verse three? You see the word sila? How many see that? Look down, if you would, at verse seven. You see the word Sila, how many see that? How many see the word in verse number 11, Sila again? How many see those three Silas? Sila, sometimes in your Psalms, it means, okay, pause, think about that. Okay, he says three verses and he says, all right, stop, think about what I just said. And then he says a couple more verses, he says, stop, think about it. Or sometimes people say, that's a choir notation, that's a musical thing. And maybe that's the refrain. Maybe that verse is what the choir would sing back. The girl would get up and she would sing the, the, the psalm. And as she sang in that beautiful soprano voice, then they would join her in verse number three and the whole choir would sing together. And Selah means that's their part to come in. That's the time that the whole choir sings. Isn't that interesting? Come on, can't you say that's a little bit interesting in the Bible? Don't you think when you go to church, you ought to learn something? Amen. Yes or no? All right. So uh, this is a choir piece. Psalm 46 was a psalm that they were singing, the sons of Korah. Now, last week when we were together, we started in on the first couple of verses, and we looked quickly at a couple of things. And to, this morning, I'm going to review just for a moment. First of all, we learned that God is our immovable refuge. God is our immovable refuge. Remember the first verse? God, Elohim. How many remember that? Did you write that in your Bible? If you did, now's a good time. Elohim, Elohim, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. 
That's the word for God. El, E-L, means powerful, all power. God is a powerful, covenant-keeping God. That's what Elohim means. And notice the whole psalm is about God. It says, God is our refuge. And we could go down through there. Therefore, there's a river, verse number four, and the streams are of make glad the city of what? The city of God. Look at the Bible, and it makes glad the city of God, the holy place of tabernacle of the most high. God, look at that. This psalm is about God. It's about God being our refuge. And so we found that God is our immovable refuge. And the idea is this. If God is our refuge, why would you look for refuge in anything else? Why would you look anywhere except for him? Because he's the only one that offers an immovable refuge. God never changes. God is always the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you need a refuge, God is the place to go. Because God, the Bible says, is our help. Notice the way the verse reads. He's our refuge, our strength, a very present help. That's an interesting way of saying it. Very present there. We could say it like this. For example, some translations say that literally he's very findable. When you need a refuge, God doesn't hide. When you need a refuge, God's very findable. You can find God because literally he can be found when needed. He can be counted on. The New King James Version has a footnote that says he's abundantly available help. The English Standard Version says he's well proved. The NIV says he's ever present. The HCSB says he's a helper that's always found in a time of trouble. Here's the point. We should look for God because God is our help. When you need a, when a crisis comes, when you're blindsided by life, God is the help that you can always count on. He's the one that you can always find. And by the way, you say, Pastor, how does God help us? How is it that God help us? helps us? Well, listen to what the Bible says. Psalm 119, verse 175 said, Let my soul live and shall praise thee, and let thy judgments. In the Psalms, there's eight words for the Bible. Law, judgments, precepts, the list goes on for eight different words. It's saying, let the word of God, listen to this, help you. Isn't it amazing when people need help and when they need a refuge that they run from the very thing that'll help them the most? Well, when's the last time you read your Bible? Well, last Sunday when I went to church. When's the last time you got alone with God and spent some time in his word? Well, you know, a few weeks ago. God says, if you want me to help you, if you want to find me, I'll tell you where you find me. You find me in my word. All God's people said, amen. come on, you can amen or owe me, but that's what he says. Yeah. We find our help in times of trials, by God in his word. And what does God do? Look at the way the verse reads. God's our refuge and God becomes what? Our strength. When I spend time with God, when I get in his word, when I begin to see God for who God is, and I understand what a great God I have, I find refuge there and God then becomes my strength. My strength. You see, this passage says that our God is an Im 
movable refuge. Not only notice that he's our God, but the Bible says he's our refuge. He's our refuge. This is the first description of God in verse 1 and the last one in the last couple of sections. Look down to verse number 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is what? Come on, you got your Bible open still. God is our what? Refuge. Look down to verse number 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is what? Our refuge. He says God is our refuge. Now did you know in the scriptures the Bible says Israel had 21 refuges, 21 cities of refuge. They had several on this side of the river and several on the other side of the river. And they would run to the city of refuge when they were chased by an avenger. Bible says here that God is our refuge. The New American Standard says God is our stronghold. He's our stronghold. He's our unassailable uh, fortification is the idea. The Bible says that God is our bulwark. We've sang that Almighty fortress is our God. We sing it better than that, but we sing that song. Man, I love that song. It's a fantastic song. And that, and that song talks about God being that bulwark. He's our defensive wall. He's our tower that's built around the city walls. God is the one that keeps us Strong because God is that immovable refuge. He's a mighty fortress. He's our castle. That's the idea. You see, Scripture says that our God is a mighty fortress. He's a bulwark, never failing. He's our shelter amidst the flood of moral ills that prevail in our life. Did you know the Scripture says that over and over and over again? I want to give you some verses, right? At least jot the, the reference down. These are great verses. Listen to what the Bible says. Deuteronomy 32, 27 says, The eternal God is our dwelling place, and underneath are his everlasting arms. And he drove out the enemy from before you and said, Destroy. The Bible says in Exodus 33:22, And it shall come about while my glory is passing by that I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. The Bible says in Psalm 27, verse 5, For in the day of trouble he conceals me in his tabernacle, in the secret place of his tent. He will hide me, and I will lift me up upon a rock. Psalm 31, verse 20 says, You hide me in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep me secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. The Bible says in Psalm 71, verse 3, Be to me a rock of habitation that I may continually come. And you've given commandments to save me for you are my rock and you are my fortress. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 26, In the fear of the Lord there is, no, there is strong confidence and with his children they have refuge. The Bible says in, in, in Isaiah 25, verse 4, For you have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm and a shade for the heart, for the breath of his ruthless is like a rainstorm against the wall. 
Zechariah 9.12 says, Return to the stronghold, O prisoners that have hope. Jeremiah 16.19 says, O Lord, my strength, my stronghold, my refuge in the day of distress. The Bible says in Psalm 18, verse 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield and he's the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Over and over and over again, the Bible says God is our immovable refuge. He's our impenetrable defense. Our God is our indestructible rock of shelter. And when trials and troubles comes, the Bible says when that trouble comes to our life, God steps forward and God says, I'm easy to find. I'm your strength. I'm your refuge. Come to me. Amen. How important is that? You see, God is our shelter in the time of storm. God's our high ground. God's our strong tower. He's not only our rock, he cares for us. You see, our God is our refuge. And what's the result of that? Look at verse 2. The Bible says, therefore, we will not fear. You say, Pastor, what's the problem most people have in life? They're afraid of everything. Yes or no? We're fearful of the government. We're fearful of Social Security running out. We're fearful of the IRS. We're fearful of the cop waiting for us in the speed trap. Come up to my house. I'll show you two spots they hide all the time. Man, we live our life just covered up with fear. And God says, why would you live that way when you have a refuge? Why would you live that way when I can be your strength? Why would you live that way when you can run to the tower, the strong tower? Because I'm a very present help in a time of trouble. Amen. You see, people are afraid. Scripture says, what, what might we be afraid of? Notice what the Bible says. Though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea. Now, I've never seen that, but once mountains start falling off in the sea, we're in trouble. We used to tease out in California that the big one was coming. Every time we had an earthquake, we was wondering if Colorado was going to be our new state. Yeah. Though the mountains be cast in the sea, we're afraid I was out visiting Tuesday night and the weather was bad and, and, and there were storms and, and I was talking to somebody and they looked up and they said, wow, you think we're going to have a tornado? I said, boy, I hope not. I don't like tornadoes. How about you? I was thinking about this whole section of scripture and as I began to think about it, I thought about all of the things that we fear and all the things that, that, that make us fearful in life. Though mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and are troubled, though the mountains shake with swelling. I got a picture up here, fellas. Would you put that picture up just for a second? You remember that? Come on, do you remember that day at our church when the tornado hit and our building was gone? Got a phone call and my daughter said, hey, daddy, there's a tornado down in Goodlettsville. 
And I looked out through the window. The offices used to be right over there. And I looked out through the windows and I could see that rascal on the other side of the, of the freeway. And it was coming towards us. And I told everybody, get out of your office, come into this inner office. And, and we put Gail under the desk. Man, she was the most protected person in the world because everybody was trying to crowd down in there. I knew I couldn't crowd down there, so I'm just standing up looking around. <laughs> Miss Sarah's out here in the back. She's pulling music for the choir. And all of a sudden there was a voice that said, you better get out of here. And she said to the voice, I need my purse. The voice said, don't worry about it. Go now. And she took off running from the back and she came down this aisle. And as she came down this aisle, the tornado hit about right here. And these pews were gone and the pulpit was gone and the baptistry was gone. And that area she was pulling music was gone. Do you remember that? We're not really allowed to do that in the city of Goodlettsville because they got sign restrictions on everything. I went ahead and got me a sign that said, he's still God. And I put it up and I dared him to come by and tell me to take it down. Because he's still God. But you know what, folks? Even though tornadoes come and even though once in a while things are different and changed, He's still God. I've got another picture in there, I think, I hope. Did you got one of the, nope, that's not it, sorry. Uh, I had a picture of uh, Phuket. I was supposed to have a picture in there. I sat two weeks in a place called Phuket. I sat on a place called Patong Beach, and I ate dinner one night eating fish. And two weeks later to the day, two weeks later to the day, that's when the tsunami hit. Yeah, that tsunami was huge. Look at this video. Look at this video. Now, that's a wave, ladies and gentlemen. Look at that thing. Wow, isn't that something? There was an earthquake off of Indonesia on the floor of the ocean, and it it made the plates of the world that kind of went like this, and it caused an earthquake, and the earthquake caused a tsunami. By the way, there were 250,000 people that lost their lives because of that one wave. They said in Phuket, where I was sitting, that whole area was wiped out. We went out about six months after it was over and walked around, and all the places I was sitting there eating dinner was gone. Wow. The writer says, hey, you don't need to worry. Our God is a present help. He's a strength. He's a refuge. It doesn't matter what happens in the world. I will not be afraid. Isn't that amazing? Our result is we have no fear. Our result is our faith is in God. Our result is, hey, the bottom line is it doesn't matter what happens in this world. Therefore, we will not fear. And he ends this section. He says, Selah. Think about that. Think about that. Some of you say, well, well pastor, I'm not, I'm not fearful. I'm just concerned. It's called we're worried. 
It's faith turned inside out. It's called fear. The reason we worry is because we're so fearful of what doesn't ever happen to us. Some of you are sitting out there, well, I don't worry, Pastor. I'm just concerned. You're a liar. You're filled with fear. Not faith. The psalmist says, bottom line, if I find my refuge in him, I don't have to fear anything. That's pretty good preaching, isn't it? Now, let's look at our exciting second part of this, and I hope to get down through here real quick. Look at verse 4. There's a river. See verse 4? There's a river. Our God is an inexhaustible river. River, notice, the, underline the word river and the word streams thereof that make glad the city of God. Underline the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. In the word there, when you look at the word river, in ancient times, rivers were always sources of, of great gladness in life. It, it was the stability of a city. You know, the amazing thing is Nashville is built on a river, yes or no? Most of your major cities are always built on rivers. But Jerusalem was a high rocky area that wasn't built on a river. It was a barren rock top of a mountain. And the scriptures here says there is a river and the streams thereof. Streams in the Psalms usually represent God's faithfulness, God's blessing. Psalm 1 verse 3 says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in the season, and his leaves shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The city of God in verse 4 is none other than Jerusalem. It's where God's presence dwells. Notice, it's where the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God dwelt in the tabernacle. God's Shekinah glory dwelt there. And so this passage is saying that there is a river. God is this inexhaustible river. What's the mystery of this river? First question we might ask, why does he use or refer to our safety by saying that there's a river? What's the mystery of that? Well, it's mysterious in its origin. You may want to underline that word river in your Bible, and it means a constantly flowing river. It's not referring to a creek. It's, it's not talking about something that happens a couple of days ago when we got all that rain, and all of a sudden that creek that's always dry had water in it. No, this is a river that never ceases to flow. This is a river that always flows, and the Bible says it it's, a, it's, it's, it's a mysterious in its origin. Some scholars say that maybe this is that tunnel that Hezekiah dug. Hezekiah knew that the Assyrians came and the Assyrians surrounded the city of Jerusalem and they had the Gion Springs. By the way, it was the springs that ran all the time. It wasn't in the spring or the summer or the winter. It was all year long, the Gion Springs. And so they got guys digging from one end with picks and shovels and guys on the other end, picks and shovels, 1,777 feet. And they started mathematically figuring out how to meet in the middle. And so they started using their mathematics and they finally got to the point until they could yell through the stone and they could hear something. And finally they broke through and boom, 
perfectly. They, they dug what they call Hezekiah's tunnel. Why did they do that? Because they went to the spring of Zion and they ran that through Hezekiah's tunnel. And if you ever go to the Holy Land, fellas, show them the slide there. That's it right there. That's uh, Hezekiah's tunnel. And that tunnel runs all the way into the pool of Shalom. You say, Pastor, what's the big deal about that? How many of you remember when Jesus goes to that pool and there's a guy laying there and he says, I've been laying here for 38 years and every once in a while the angel comes down and he stirs the water and I can't get in because by the time I get in, somebody else gets in and they get healed before I get in. How many remember the story? That Hezekiah's tunnel runs all the way. Do I have any more pictures of that? Is that the only one I got? It must be. So anyways, uh, if, you, if you go to the Holy Land, one of the things you can do, I haven't done it, but you can, I've been here, but I haven't gone. You can walk through that tunnel and you got to go get your old clothes on, your old tennis shoes on, and you walk through very cold water all the way through that thing. And where, where they meet in the middle, there's a big kind of a plate that they've knocked into the wall where it has Hebrew writing and it basically from the days of Hezekiah, 700 years before Christ. And they said, here's where the two guys met when they were digging the tunnel, right here. Kind of sort of like that. Kind of a neat thing. So he says, hey, what you say, Pastor, what's the big deal? King Hezekiah knew that this guy Sennacherib was coming with 185,000. And he, what they normally would do, they would, they would starve you or thirst you into submission. So when he took this tunnel and brought it all the way down through there, he said, hey, you guys don't know about it. They covered it up so Hezekiah, the, the, uh, Sennacherib couldn't see it. And they had this resource. They had this water that would come through there. And they had all the water they could possibly drink. Notice what the Bible says. He says, there's a river. And this river, the streams are of make glad the city of God. It makes Jerusalem happy. And the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High, it comes out right there by the western wall. It comes out there right by where the temple was. Let's keep reading. Notice God is in the midst of her. And you say, Pastor, what's so big about that? Well, what makes this river different than any other river? Whatever, what other river do you know in the world where it says God is in the midst of it? God is in the middle of this river. The river is mighty because there's a person that abides there. There's a person that stays there. You see, what he's saying is this river is personal because the bottom line is our God abides in this river. Wow. Now I'm going to bring this all together. You'll see it in just a second. God is in the midst of her, verse number five, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, and he utters his voice, and the earth melted. Now, let's talk about the meaning of the river, and i got to get done, like right now. Will you hang in there for just for five more minutes? Will you do that for me? All right. If you don't, I'm going to do it anyways. You'll have to just walk out. And if you do that, we hope somebody will throw their Bible hit you in the back of the head. In Christian love. <laughs> let, me, let me just say a couple of things. One, quickly, one quick thing. is Historically, what does this mean? Hey, this really did take place. 
This really was a river that was brought from the Gion Springs. Historically, this is true. You can still go see it today. And if you'll remember the story, bottom line is God gets involved. He sends one angel, one angel. Angels must be pretty powerful. Amen. He sends one angel and the Bible says he goes down into the camp of the Assyrians and the Bible says the next morning they all woke up and were dead corpses. One angel came, killed 185,000. Historically, this really did happen. Well, let's think about it spiritually. Take your Bible and turn to John, the Gospel of John. Will you, will you turn with me real quick? You say, Pastor, I'm tired of turning. You already looked at so many verses this morning. I really thought when you came to church, you came to learn the Bible. I was almost, you know, maybe I'm mistaken. As long as you got me as your preacher, you're stuck. We're going to learn the Bible. Look at John chapter 7. Now look with me. Some of you say, well, I'm tired. I ain't going to turn. Well, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out. Look what it says. 37. In the last day. By the way, this is the way you could read it was the Feast of the Tabernacle. It was the seventh day, the last day of the feast. That's what it's talking about. Now, I'm just trying to help you understand the Bible, and I've studied this out, so just trust me that I'm telling you the truth. Will you do that? All right, so it's the last day of the Feast of the Tabernacle. It says that great day of the feast. The great day of the feast is a reference back to the book of Malachi, and, and the Bible there talks about Messiah coming and Messiah being at the Feast of the Tabernacles and Jesus goes on that last day and Jesus stands there in the, in the temple and Jesus stood up and cried, listen to what he says, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, the scripture says, out of his belly shall fill, flow rivers of living water. Look at the next verse because Jesus, John interprets it for us. And this spake he of what? Notice your Bible. Is that a capital S or a small s? Capital S is talking about the Holy Spirit. What's he saying? Jesus says what they would do in those days. And you just got to trust me. They would go down to the Pool of Shalom where this tunnel came in with this water from the spring of Gihon. And they would take that water and they'd put it in a basin and they'd run up and they'd run all the way back up to the temple and they'd pour that water out and they would proclaim Exodus chapter 17. I don't have time to turn there. You just have to trust me. And they would say Exodus chapter 17. They'd make a big deal out of it. And, and, and then Jesus stands up in the midst of this going on on that last day of the feast and he says, hey, you want to know what that passage is talking about? You want to know what that whole deal's going on here? It's talking about me. And he said, any of you thirsty? He said, if you come to me. By the way, if you're thirsty for God today, you come to Jesus Christ. He has rivers of flowing water. And he's talking about the Spirit of God. You say, Pastor, what is he saying? He's saying that when you get saved, God's Spirit begins to live in you. And God's Spirit begins to live the life of Christ through you. And your belly will have those flowing river of water called the Spirit of God. Now that's semi-cool. Would you agree with that? Hey, 
You say, Pastor, when you're going through difficult times in life, when, when you've been blindsided by all kinds of disasters in your life and it seems like nothing goes right, what's the best resource you can have? It's a mighty river called the Holy Spirit that lives within you, that comforts you and speaks to you and assures you and lets you know that you're His. Are you listening to me? The best comfort you'll ever get when disasters take place in your life is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Are you listening to me? Now, prophetically, <laughs> I got a, a bunch of verses I could look up. Let me just, let me just stay with me. Will you stay with me for a minute? Some of you say, I'm ready to go eat. All right, stay with me. By the way, the Bible says when God created the Garden of Eden, there were four rivers that came out of the Garden of Eden. One of them was called Gihon. Hmm. Does that sound anything like that spring we've been talking about that Hezekiah did that tunnel to? Hmm. Did you know that Jewish scholars believe that the Garden of Eden was originally created where Jerusalem is? Isn't that interesting? Now you're putting some of these pieces of the puzzle together in your brain? Now prophetically, when you begin to look at this stream, this river, Prophetically, this is really interesting because the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 2, the Bible says when we get to heaven, heaven's going to have a river in it. The Bible calls it in the city of God, there's a river and there's living water that continues into eternity to the new heaven and the new earth. Listen to the way the Bible reads. Revelation 21, verse 2, it says, And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven of God, made ready for a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and he shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them. Verse 6, Then he he said unto me, it is done. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I will bless the one that thirst from the springs of water of life without cost. Verse 22, he says, I saw no temple in this new Jerusalem, this new earth, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb was its temple. When you get into chapter 22, Revelation 22, verse 1, it says, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God. And the Lamb, in the midst of the street, on either side of the river was the tree of life. And the Spirit and the bride says, Come. And the one that hears says, come. And the one that's thirsty, he says, come. Let him that wishes to take the water of life without cost, come. You say, Pastor, what are you saying? This is an invitation for anyone that's thirsty to know God. Amen. He says, hey, there's going to be a river. It started all the way back at the, at the paradise time. It started with Adam and even the Garden of Eden. And he says, he, in Psalm 46, he said, there's a river that comes to Jerusalem and God is in the midst. And he says, 
prophetically go all the way to the end of time. And when we get to heaven, he said, there's going to be a river there. And that river is crystal clear. And the Lord, the Lamb, is right there in the midst. By the way, it's always been God's plan for every Christian, are you listening to me, to have an inexhaustible river called the Spirit of God that lives within you and that he sustains you and he gives you sustenance and he gives you whatever you need when panic times come and when trouble comes. You say, Pastor, what's our refuge when we're blindsided? We have a river that God himself is in the midst of. You say, I don't have anywhere to take my problems. Let me tell you something. There is a river. And that river is none other than Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit living in the life of every believer. I don't know how to face my problems, Pastor. Well, it could be that you need to come. It could be that you need to come to the river. He says, if you're thirsty. Now, here's my question for you. Do you have that river flowing through you? And that's a great question. Is God's river called the Holy Spirit flowing through your life? By the way, I'll be real honest with you. In tribulation and trials, that word trouble there in verse number one means tight places. When the tight places of life come, I don't know what you do without God. We've had a couple of difficult weeks at the Martin House. We're still not quite out of the woods yet. And I'll guarantee you, this poor man cried. And the Lord heard him. And he delivered him from all of his troubles. You listening to me? I'll tell you what, folks. There is a river. And that river God dwells in the midst of. And when you need him most, Jesus steps up and he says, I'm here. I'm here. And if you'll just hang out with me, I'll hang out with you. By the way, that works. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what you do without Jesus Christ. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, speak to us now. God, help for those today that are going through the tight times of life, the troubled times of life, those that are in tight places, those right now that don't really know how to make ends meet. God, we're grateful that we have a river and that God dwells in the midst and all you got to do is come. Lord, I pray that every person in this room has come to that river. I pray that every person in this room has found Jesus Christ as their Savior. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. How many can say, Pastor, I know, I know, I know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. And I have a river that flows through me called the Holy Spirit. And when I need him the most, he's there. When I need his help, he's in the midst of that river. Man, can he offer a refuge. How many this morning say, Pastor, I know Christ is my Savior. I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm born again. How many can say, Pastor, that's my testimony today? Would you lift it high all over this room this morning? Lift it high all over this room. You can put it down. Is there one this morning to say, Pastor, I'm not sure about that, but I'd like to be. 
If I died right now, I don't know for sure that I'm saved. But I want to come. As Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come. Come unto me. Put your faith in me. Believe in me. And he said, out of your belly will flow rivers of water. Man, what a resource that is, folks. How many this morning would say, Pastor, would you pray?